Episode 10, Associate Pastor Bianca Luna interviews Urban Grace congregant Alyssa Hurd Garza. Hello, friends. Thanks for listening in with us again today for the Last Stop podcast. Today, I have interviewee Alyssa Hurd Garza. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Um, we've gotten to know each other in the course of a year, so it's it's good to get to do this interview with someone who I know fairly well. So yeah, I'm excited to do this with you. Um, so let me, let's just dig right into it. I'm going to ask question number one. Um, Alyssa, if you can tell us a bit about yourself, kind of give us a glimpse into who you are and what values you hold near and dear to you. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, thanks Bianca for having me today. Um, so yeah, my name is Alyssa. Um, I am a Southern California native, um, but moved to the Pacific Northwest about eight and a half years ago. Mm. Um, so a bit of a transplant like most others. Um, I'm married to my wonderful wife, Tracy. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm a mama to our 16 month old baby, Ruby, Mm -hmm. um, and a bonus mom to Tracy's grown up babies, Brett and Lily. (laughs) Um, since living in the area, I have worked in the tech industry, uh, until just recently when I made the transition to be home full time with Ruby, nice. um, or executive household coordinator <laughs> as uh, yeah. my wife likes to call it. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I value family, hospitality and community. Those were the three things that kind of came to mind when you asked that. I think that kind of encompasses yeah. it all. Nice. Well, that's really great. You are now a community group leader at (laughs) church, so that works perfectly. Uh, And those of you who have been a part of Urban Grace, if you see the baby with the cutest fashion sense, (laughs) that is Ruby. So be on the lookout for her and the congregation. Um, Awesome. So uh, question number two we have here is how long have you been at Urban Grace and what brought you here? Yeah, so it's been almost two years. I think um, this January will be two years. Um, and yeah, a couple of things brought us here. Um, so my wife and I, you know, found the church together. Mm-hmm. Um, after we had kind of a hurtful and dramatic exit from our previous church, um, which is where we met mm-hmm. um, in Seattle, um, almost uh, that happened almost four years before finding Urban Grace. So we had mm-hmm. kind of a um, a few years where we didn't have a church family yeah. mixed with a pandemic and a move mm. to a different town. Um, we were just kind of longing for community again. Yeah. And I grew up in the church. And so th- that was kind of my place to go to find community. That's where I always made friends and yeah. had the best relationships. So I was kind of longing for that. Mm-hmm. And I was a little hesitant just because of our last church experience. I didn't know if there would be a welcoming, affirming LGBTQ church um, in the area. Mm-hmm. Um, but Tracy actually found an online directory. and um, <laughs> Was of it called gaychurch.com? It, we were trying to remember what it was okay. and we couldn't remember, but yeah. maybe that was it. Yeah. And Urban Grace was on the list. Yeah. Um, we had a couple other places that we wanted to check out, but Urban Grace was first. And we started going online because it was still kind of end of, um, you know, meeting only online at that time and definitely were intrigued and felt like we connected with kind of the the message and everything. And then once we started going in person, we, you know, saw other families that looked like us 
And we really connected with the values of social justice and the creative arts Mm -hmm. um, that Urban Grace has. And so we didn't even go to any other places to Mm -hmm. check them out. We just felt like this was where we wanted to be and that Urban Grace would be somewhere that we could really participate, not Mm -hmm. just sit in the pews and feel like someone's going to tell us, you know, our lifestyle is wrong at some point. Um, but we could like fully be ourselves and and participate in the life of the church. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I remember meeting you. You were pregnant with Ruby. Yeah, I was. I I remember. And I remember even the first Sunday Ruby was here. Mm -hmm. I think she was like five weeks. And you were like, this is her first time outside or something. Yeah, it was her first time to church. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that too. That's awesome. Um, So question number three is um, when you think of what a church would have to look like to be multicultural. What do you think, do you think that Urban Grace fits that mold? Yeah, so I think that's an interesting question or way to to ask it because I think that um, in order for a multicultural church to be possible, mm-hmm. um, you really have to be outside of the mold, yeah. right? Um, and I think Urban Grace is already designed that way as yeah. an ecumenical church. Um, it really doesn't fit into any other church mold I've participated in. Mm-hmm. You know, there's some pretty standard like patterns and um, ways that that churches operate, and I think Urban Grace is really unique in that way. Um, and I think that makes it very attractive to people who are interested in a diverse and multicultural church mm-hmm. experience. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not cookie cutter. Right. Um, yeah. So uh, it's refreshing for me to be at Urban Grace where it is a little more unexpected mm-hmm. from like the songs that we sing to the various traditions practiced. I mean, I learned a lot about other Christian traditions that mm. I never knew about um, even being Christian my entire life because we practice like little bits and pieces of of all those different kinds and uh, to the readings and even just opportunities to participate in like the creative expressions Mm. so I think that yeah it has everything that it needs to to be a multicultural church nice yeah you're you're right it does definitely not fit a a mold and uh, I like that you said it's it's unexpected right like every Mm -hmm. week's just a little different so that's awesome Um, so question number four here is, uh, Liliana mentioned in her last podcast that some social identities were born with and others are chosen. So what identities, um, you felt were easier to mingle in society with and which gave you some challenges? Yeah. So as Liliana described, um, I definitely relate with the fact that social identities can be very dynamic Mm -hmm. um, and that's definitely true for me Mm -hmm. um, because I would say they have changed over time Um, as I was reflecting on this I think the the social identities that I was born with are the ones that I would say were the easiest Mm -hmm. for me to get along in society with Um, I don't think that's true for everyone necessarily but Mm -hmm. for me um, you know while I was growing up everyone around me had those same social identities right right so white, middle-class, Christian, an assumption that you're straight. Yeah. Um, there wasn't much diversity, and so I, I didn't really even see a lot of different social identities. Mm. It was just easy to fit in because that's how everyone else yeah. is. Um, so there's not really any any sort of 
conflict. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess, you know, in, in a white supremacist society that right. we're in, that's the default, right? right? Yeah. Um, so there, there's not really any struggle for recognition or value. Um, but as I got older, I realized, you know, these identities weren't necessarily true or didn't mm-hmm. make up the, the whole of who I am mm-hmm. or would become. So definitely the most challenging to navigate in society was, um, and sometimes still is, my queer identity. Mm-hmm. Um, not because I thought it was wrong or that God didn't want me to be queer, but really with the, the opposite. Um, I had fallen in love with a woman, and I mm-hmm. very much felt God's presence in that. Mm. Um, and I felt his presence in our love and in my new identity. Mm. Um, but I, only I really knew or felt that. Yeah. Um, so to the outside world, you know, the hard part was reconciling that with the society in which I mm-hmm. had been a part of. Yeah. Um, because in in that society, you know, it wasn't an option to be mm. queer. Mm-hmm. So I, I didn't have any examples of godly queer couples um, or the language to describe God's presence in any of it. Um, so it was challenging for me to even talk about it with mm. with family members who were, you know, hurt and confused uh, because in their expectation of me, that wasn't an option. That mm. that wouldn't ever be the case. Um, so yeah, that that was really challenging and and kind of left me feeling stuck in many ways um, mm. on the outside. Um, but really known and loved and self-aware on the mm-hmm. inside kind of for the first time. Mm. Um, so it, it was, it was hard to navigate. Yeah. Um, and, and also challenging, as I kind of mentioned earlier, you know, hurtful as the church community we had been so involved and invested in, um, they weren't interested in listening mm. to, to us or hearing our, how God was in our journey and, and they weren't interested in walking with us in that, but just hmm. trying to shut us down and control us oh, you know, was, was what they wanted to do. So um, yeah. relationships changed a lot, and that, that makes things challenging. Yeah. Um, and only a small handful of people from that community stood by and celebrated us. Hmm. Um, but our world kind of changed pretty drastically at that point. Um, and it was also damaging to our girls' view, our, our girls at the time that, you know, were pretty young. Yeah. Um, their view of the church and God, which um, I would say was one of the most challenging parts. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I mean, that's, yeah, that's such a crappy experience to, like, lose your community and lose all these people you thought loved you and cared about you. But that's pretty incredible that you you stayed so grounded in your faith in that. Because, like, I've heard a lot of people, when they've come into their true identity Mm -hmm. and being queer, they, like, lose themselves. And, like, they carry this guilt because of what they were taught for so long. But the fact Mm -hmm. that you felt God's presence in your new relationship and, like, in your new identity is, Mm -hmm. like, pretty amazing and not something I hear very often. So that's That's cool. Cool to hear. Um. So question number five, uh, now in your personal life, um, I know that you have been in supervisor positions. Is that correct? Yeah, at work, um, more or less. Yeah. <laughs> D- different yeah. cases. Yes. Um, and in those various positions you've had, what were ways you were able to promote inclusivity and foster appreciation for diversity? 
Yeah. So the last organization I was a part of, um, I really have to credit like the leadership and mm-hmm. um, kind of the people uh, that started the company for really laying the groundwork um, because they did an awesome job. Mm. Doesn't mean that they are perfect and didn't make mistakes, but they right. were. Um, they just were the best place that I've ever worked. Um, that kind of had the the pathways to mm-hmm. create um, a diverse community and. Uh, foster, you know, inclusivity. Um, and for me personally, uh, I learned a lot like being there and having the opportunity to be a part mm-hmm. of that. Um, and kind of like Liliana said in, in the last podcast, um, I think inclusive leadership really starts with relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, she said starts with compassion, but yeah, relationships with, with people because we're all just human first yeah. and just getting to know people on a basic level uh, opens the door to get to know them, to know more of their layers, mm-hmm. right? Because we all have really varied lived experiences. And in a workplace, uh, you bring all of that with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you're not able to express it or like incorporate it somehow, um, I don't think it's very beneficial mm-hmm. to the individual or the organization. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, at, as I mentioned, the, the company really did a great job of laying the groundwork. And part of that was by being really clear about their values, mm. um, some of which that I really resonated with were being candid, being curious and being community oriented. Mm. Uh, they were all started with C's. Mm. So. Good <laughs> to remember. Yeah. yeah. Um, so this like includes, you know, like the, the company money making initiatives, but also trickles down to just how we work together and how we interact with one another on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Um, and specifically some examples of what that looked like in the workplace. Um, it kind of came out of the pandemic as well. And along with in 2020, the, the Black Lives Matter movement when George Floyd was murdered, you know, mm-hmm. our company we wanted to connect as individuals about that. Mm. And so um, the space was created to for people to share their different experiences mm. or even research um, different cultures uh, or topics that they wanted to, to share with the group about. So mm. nothing that, that had to do with our day-to-day work necessarily, but mm-hmm. they created space to do that. And we called those fireside chats. Oh, nice. Um, and it's a tradition that they still continue to this day and do wow. it regularly. That's great. Um, whether it was like... Black History Month or Women's History Month, um, Pride, um, even like I think I remember one we did on the true history of the first Thanksgiving mm. and having that discussion um, or food inequality in different communities. Uh, so yeah, it was it was really cool to be a part of yeah of that. That's awesome. It sounds like a pretty at least on that front a very <laughs> healthy place to work. Yeah, and the fact that people can be so like just honest and and wrestle with the tough society, the tough things in our society. So that's really cool that you can do that safely in a workspace, Mm -hmm. which is not also a not common thing. No, No, definitely not. Yeah. Um, So what were the most um, rewarding and the most challenging aspects when trying to foster those values in the work workspace? So on the rewarding side, I mean, I think it, it kind of impacts everything, right? Um, you create a better workplace environment where, like you said, people feel safe mm-hmm. and seen. So that makes you feel more 
secure to actually focus on your work Mm -hmm. and like be yourself at Mm -hmm. work, which helps you do your best work. Um, so it it increases the quality of work. Um, it, it deepened relationships with others. Um, I made some really great friends, Mm -hmm. um, at, at that company and I, uh, that I wouldn't have met anywhere else and I wouldn't know their stories or their family stories mm-hmm. um, if we didn't have the space to, to share that um, and just better knowledge and understanding of, of everyone's lived experiences, which I think enriches the community. Mm-hmm. Um, there's always challenges, of course. Uh, some of the most challenging things I think in, in this uh, experience I had with my last company, um, there are a startup, so a quickly growing company. Mm-hmm. Um, and as as things change and grow, I think it's more challenging mm. to uphold those those efforts um, and keep nurturing those values to and being intentional in fostering diversity, equity, and inclusion. Mm. Um, it takes a lot of time and energy and yeah. committees um, <laughs> to, to think and plan um, those efforts. And in a growing company, like you have to to be committed to it, no matter how busy you get. Yeah, um, and then. One other thing is that it's it's also a challenge not only to make sure that every voice is heard and represented as more people join, mm-hmm. but to also ensure that those who would benefit most to learn and grow from hearing those <laughs> different points of view are actually engaging with and participating, yeah. you know, in, yeah. in those opportunities to do so in in the workplace when many of these efforts only manifest in optional trainings or one-off meetings, yeah. you know, it gives those that would rather just do their work and go home kind of an out, which there's nothing wrong with that per se, but those individuals potentially get left behind as the culture is evolving and progressing. uh, And it it can be felt across the organization. Have you ever, do you know of any time where someone maybe quit because of it? Like, that's a good question. I not specifically that I know of, um, but I can definitely feel like, you know, there's, some people that just regularly don't engage with it. And Mm. so they just kind of, they're they're not as engaged at all in the company um, or like in, in total. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I don't know if anyone's quit because of it. Hmm. Yeah. It's, it's super hard to create a completely open space. Mm -hmm. Um, I think a lot of places say like, Oh, we do that well, but it's also kind of a, what is it, a sounding board or when everyone has kind of the same view? I forgot what that's called. Uh, like chamber. Sure. Yeah. You, know what you mean where it's like, oh, yeah, we're all super open, but we all think the same way. Yeah. And that's, I think, uh, a easy trap to fall yeah, into. But yeah. the point of being diverse is that you are adding new voices yeah, exactly. and different perspectives yeah. and that you respond to them in an open yeah way that you're willing to learn um and especially in a growing company where you do get new people quite often like you have to to leave room for that yeah that's great that they can pivot that and Mm -hmm. make sure it's you know the diverse opinions are all respected and heard that's awesome um is there anything else that we haven't gotten to chat about um, with uh, creating a thriving multicultural environment or social identities or anything else really Yeah, I was just thinking about this topic and how we've recently started community groups Mm -hmm. and how I think it kind of goes hand in hand Mm. because it's one thing to just attend on a Sunday and 
see all sorts of different people in one room and like participate in a service together, but kind of taking that out of the sanctuary and mm-hmm. like into people's living rooms and smaller groups, mm-hmm. I think it's really going to enrich the community and just individuals lives by getting to go deeper with mm. like folks of different generations mm-hmm. or um, different sexual orientations, just different ethnicities. Um, it, I think really will come all the way back around, mm. you know, to the sanctuary yeah. um, to, to increase the diversity because again, it comes back to relationships yeah. and it, those only happen kind of in those smaller settings. Mm-hmm. So um, true. I'm, excited to to see how the community groups makes that uh makes that happen yeah that's great that's encouraging to hear I'm glad to hear that so awesome well thank you so much Alyssa for hanging out and chatting with me and teaching us more about who you are and and what you value and your social identities that you've had to uh figure out in this big world (laughs) and so thank you for your heart and sharing that with us Thank you. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Uh, Thank you, listeners, and we'll catch you next time at The Last Stop.